The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Matthew 1, starting at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 11. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Hillary. As we prepare our hearts and minds for uh, this Advent season, Michael and I have been preaching, we're preaching through the series, Jesus as Prophet, Priest, and King. And um, Michael preached on Jesus as Prophet this past week, and I get the privilege of chasing, uh, preaching Jesus as our priest, our high priest this morning. And before we do that, let's pray together. Our great God, we thank you that indeed you were just that. Lord Jesus, you are our high priest. You are the one who has made atonement. You are the one who offered your own body, your own blood, that we might be reconciled to your Father, that we might be considered clean, righteous, holy, in the eyes of the Father. Though we indeed suffer the filth of our own sin and the filth of this broken world, you have made us clean. You have cleansed our conscience that we might serve you out of love and gratitude and joy. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would come and set the captives free. I pray, Father, that you would Go deep into our hearts by your Spirit to free us, to serve you in such a way that the world might know that you are a Redeemer, that you are a Savior, that you, Lord Jesus, took on flesh and did what you came to do to save us from our sin. Oh, God, I thank you 
that you are a God for sinners like us. So open our eyes, open our ears. Lord Jesus, you conceived your son in the womb of Mary by your spirit. Certainly, you can do a mighty work in our hearts by your spirit this morning. Even make some born again in this place. But Father, may we all be freed from the guilt and the shame from which we impose upon ourselves and suffer the reality of. God, free us. Free us this morning for the glory of Christ and the good of your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That good? Got a new uh, microphone this morning. Hopefully it'll be good. I um, met with uh, someone recently who uh, did what many do when I have a meeting with them. They, they told me their life story. And that's one of my favorite uh, moments in my role as minister is when someone just opens up and, and just tells me everything. And this person did that, and uh, he told me the good, the bad, the ugly. He, he told me um, all of his hurts and pains, and, and there was nothing unusual, particularly about his brokenness or his story, until he got to the point where he made an observation about his own story. He said, Richard, I realize that all of my guilt, all of my shame, all of my hurt, all of my brokenness uh, in my childhood and throughout high school and beyond uh, really forced me to, to excel academically. What he was telling me, uh, I'm not sure that, that he understood the, the weightiness of what he was telling me, but what he was saying was this. I understand that my operating principle was to atone through success for my sins and for my guilt and for my shame. I poured myself, I placed myself on the altar of academic success throughout high school as opposed to running to God or finding that peace in Him which I know He offers. And what's so dangerous about this, and we all do it in some form or fashion, is that we are rewarded in this world for doing so, and he was rewarded. He went to a prestigious college because, though, he was pouring himself onto the altar, sacrificing himself before God, seeking atonement for the uncleanliness that he experienced deep within and what was so powerful about that is that in order to even tell me that, in order to even acknowledge it to himself, he had to overcome the demon inside of all of us, and that is our conscience. Our conscience that is bearing witness against us, that is always telling us, you are not worthy. You are not good enough. You are not pretty enough. You are not talented enough. You are not smart enough. And if the people around you really knew what was on the inside, they would cast you out. If they really saw like Gina did walking into that home and smelling the filth, if they saw what was on the inside, people would want to react 
as Gina just immediately, naturally reacted to them. What this person was telling me is I realized that the whole thrust of my life was lived against my guilt and shame. And friends, he is not alone. This speaks directly, though, to the reality and to the relevance of a message that we preach at Advent particularly that can so easily get lost. When the angel came down to Joseph and said, hey, don't divorce her. Why? Why, did he, why would he even think about divorcing her? Because of his own guilt and shame. Because how she would make him look in public. Oh, she's pregnant. We're not married. Oh. And yet the angel came and said, no, 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 no. You shall stay with her. You shall have this baby. And you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Did you feel the longing of the song as we sang it this morning? It had the feeling. Our worship team gave it the feeling, set the right mood, the longing, oh, come, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Why? To deliver us. But what is so sad, dear friends, is you and I live with a Savior who has come to deliver us, but we live as if we are not delivered. We live as if guilt and shame are more powerful than the saving work of Jesus Christ. See, I have paired Matthew 1 with Hebrews 9 to, to make this point this morning that Jesus came as our high priest. He came to do what? To offer himself once for all. Why? To purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Jesus came as a high priest and if you have not been to church and you don't understand that word, we're going to talk about it in a minute. But he came as our representative, as our substitute, to be sacrificed to set our conscience free from guilt and shame. And friends, there is no other power on this planet, there's no other strategy on this planet than the gospel of Jesus to set us free from the power of guilt and shame that leads only to dead works and religion. Only Jesus, a clean conscience and the end of guilt. Freud did a lot of work on the conscience. Uh, in fact, his work, really the primary work of uh, Sigmund Freud, the great psychologist, or at least an early psychologist, I don't know how great he was, but his, what, part of his greatest observation in his studies has to do with this whole idea of, of renaming our conscience the superego. And it's really just our, our, our guilt. And what he said was that having this superego, having a conscience is absolutely necessary for the survival of society. Because if we don't have a conscience, if, if I don't feel bad doing bad things to you, uh, then I'm a sociopath. And if we're all sociopaths, there is no guilt uh, to control society, then we're in trouble. And, 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 and so... But, but notice the, the, the thinking there. I feel bad about me if I hurt you. Therefore, I'm going to be controlled from hurting you. It's all about me, not really about you. 
And what the gospel says, it's a whole new paradigm. The gospel blows that up. And it says, no, we can live without guilt and shame. And we can be motivated by something greater. And it is love and gratitude for love himself. And friends, we have to do the work. That's the kind of work we have to do this morning. We have to understand what it means that he was pierced for our transgressions. Physically, his body was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. We need to understand that upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We are one of the most, if not the most, anxious society and culture. Why? Because we don't get Jesus as our high priest. We don't believe him to be our high priest. Dear friends, I want us to be set free this morning by accepting Jesus as our high priest, for accepting the sacrifice that he made as our high priest, that guilt and shame might be obliterated and you and I might start living out of love and joy and not guilt and the burden of duty. So how do we do it? To be free of guilt and shame, we must recognize that we are bad priests. Oh, this hit home to me this week. Uh, This past Thursday was my father's birthday. And as you may know, if you're part of the church, my father died um, a couple years ago, about two and a half years ago. And I told you that uh, when my father was on his deathbed, that God gave me a tremendous gift. (laughs) Um, My father never professed Christ, at least to me, um, and, and always resisted, and, and we argued. I know this. I don't know if I'm doing something wrong. Or... Is that better? All right. Uh, move it in. All right. How about that? All right. There we go. Thank you. I am so high tech. Uh, I know this has got to be better because it looks smaller and. Probably a lot more expensive than the other we've been using, but uh, anyway. So I've told you before that when my my father was on his deathbed, that God really gave me a gift to help me realize and really accept, especially in that moment, that his salvation was not on my shoulders. I mean, no person can carry that weight. And yet I found myself, and this is really the point of this, I found myself this past Thursday recreating a lot of that guilt and shame. Oh, Richard, you should have done more. You should have said more. Oh, if you were just a better witness, if you had just been more bold, if you had just, you know, if you just didn't want to please him so much, if you didn't live for his love and make an idol out, oh, believe me, I mean, I could write a book. Uh, on all the guilt and shame. And what I found myself doing this week was, was, was really holding on to that guilt and shame because I believed I needed to. I was using it as an opportunity to punish myself in hopes that maybe that would make me feel clean before God, that maybe in some way that would be enough to make me worthy of God's love. The very thing that I'm created for, love and belonging, because that's what guilt and shame does. It says, no, you are not worthy of God's love and belonging to him. You are outside of that love, so you need to wallow in it 
Oh, yeah, you're a special case. I mean, you know, you're a preacher. I mean, come on. If you can't even see your own father come to Jesus, do you see it? That's the, that's the practical, functional uh, job of, of guilt and shame. It is to make us feel as outcast. Make us feel too far away from the love of God and belonging with God. That's why the beauty of the gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life because the son, Jesus, didn't come into the world to condemn the world. It is not Jesus standing in the midst of your conscience saying, wallow in it. That is the devil. That is not Jesus. That is your flesh. It is not Jesus. That is the evil one. It is not Jesus. Jesus does not sit in your conscience to indict you and to condemn you. Why? Because Hebrews tells us he entered once for all into the holy places by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Feel the weight of those words. He entered once for all into the holy places by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus put an end to the priesthood of his people in regard to them of making atonement for sin because his sacrifice was the end of it all because it was perfect. And so all of that junk going on in my heart this past Thursday, Jesus can set me free from and indeed did. As the very words, Thursday's my day to write a sermon. <laughs> God's incredible irony, maybe sense of humor. And he allowed me to be free from the reality of that guilt. See, this is the whole point of the sacrificial system. If you read the book of Hebrews, you might get lost in all the, the sacrifices and high priest and the order of Melchizedek, the priesthood of Melchizedek as a superior um, you know, priesthood and so on and so forth. But it's all very real. It all really lives right where we all live. In the Old Testament, all God was doing was giving us categories for, for what we all know to be true. We're unclean. That, that you must be clean before a holy God. I mean, that is the reality of all of our existence. We understand that we need to be clean. He just gave us laws to help us understand that we were unclean. I mean, he, he, the, the cleanly laws, I mean, the more you got the moral law, but then you have the clean laws throughout the book of Leviticus, and it, 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 they're, all, they're kind of ridiculous. I mean, if you have any kind of bodily discharge, you are not clean enough to go into the presence of God. If you come around mold, you're not um, clean enough to go into the presence of God. All these weird things. If you have feces on you, that's literally one of them. And we say, oh, that's ridiculous. That's all outdated. Yeah, but hey, if, if, if one of us has feces on our clothes, do we still go to work? Somebody at your job, what is that smell? Oh, I've got feces on my clothes. I, I saw it, but I thought, ah, oh, no big deal. No, none of us are going to do that. But why? Ask yourself why. Because there's something innately in us that says you must be clean to be accepted. You must be clean to be loved. You will be cast out of the camp. You will be declared the leper. You will be declared the unclean one. You will be thrust out. All of us, we live right there all the time. 
Yet here's the thing. Once completed, or, 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 or let me, one more thing. God didn't just give us the clean laws. God didn't just give God's people the moral laws. He also gave them the priesthood. And so here was the rhythm. Once a year, during Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sacrifice a bull or a goat on behalf of the people. And everybody would get relief for just a second. And then you're back to living and you've got to wait another year. And here, is it, here it is, over and over and over. And it, it cleaned the flesh. It cleaned the outside of the cup and dish, but it did nothing for the inside of the cup and, cup and dish. And that's exactly what um, the writer of Hebrews is saying here. For, in verse 13, For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ? If we have to come and we have to offer sacrifice after sacrifice, and that's exactly what we were doing, and that's exactly what we do in our Christian lives, you can understand why we get disoriented and why we get disgusted with God. We're tired of feeling that way. We can't live well feeling that way. And now you can see why in our culture we try to throw off the law. Okay, I feel bad, so let's just make everything non-sin. Let's make everything good. Let's just can the idea of sin. But friends, it will not work. Even Freud said that. Freud said, if you think you can just will your, you know, a good conscience, you're nuts. You're foolish. I mean, it is that deep within us. Guilt and shame. We can run from God's law, but we're just going to be broken by it. We can play the game of, of saying, you know, I, I can, I can um, write a letter to myself. Maybe a counselor would tell me, Richard, write a letter to yourself, you know, and, and about the reality of your sin against your dad and, and forgive yourself. Write a letter of all the bad things you think you did and then crumple it up and throw it in the fire. Okay, maybe for a second, but it's coming back the next day. You see, it's good. It might be good practice to do that kind of thing. But it's not permanent. But oh, to say that the Son of God took on flesh and He got on the altar for me and He became my sin. He became the filth of everything. He is all my lack. And He was crushed. He was pierced. He was condemned so that now I can be forgiven by the Father, a declaration that no one can change. Dear friends, that will be there tomorrow. And that will be there the next day. And it will be for you as well. God wasn't depending on the sacrificial system. We see this in the book of Zechariah. God gives Zechariah this vision of the high priesthood of Joshua. And he gives him this vision that Joshua goes into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, covered in excrement. That's the Bible. Look it up. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through about 8 or 9. And, and, and Zechariah's like, what was that about? And the only thing it can be about is exactly what Gina was saying, giving Zechariah a picture of God's view of God's people in his presence. This is what I think of you. If you come to me alone, and so do you know what he thinks about my wallowing in my guilt? That's how he thinks about it. 
And yet we think religious activity, oh, God has got to now favor me. God has now got to look kindly on me because, oh, I feel so bad about my sin. And God says, are you kidding me? You're rejecting my son. You're rejecting my work. You are saying that your guilt and your shame and your wallowing is more effective than the Son of God taking on flesh, living under the law, living a perfect life that He might offer, a perfect sacrifice for my sin. Oh, the arrogance of it all. Oh, you're a bad high priest. Let's embrace it. Stop trying. But here's what we must do. We have to understand what, what are the ways that we are sacrificing ourselves or those around us, and I'll give an illustration of that later, or those around us on the altar to try to get the love and try to feel worthy enough before God. What do you have to do? What is it? Maybe some of you, I ask myself this all the time, Richard, why do you run marathons? I was riding alongside my son-in-law yesterday at Mount about mile 24, and I could look, I saw his face, and I, I could remember, I could feel it. I know what it feels, I know what mile 24 feels like. Utter hell. Why do we do that to ourselves? Oh, because of the euphoria that we feel after. I've accomplished something. I've somehow, I'm, I'm more worthy than I was before. Maybe I'm just that weak. Maybe you're running for the glory of God, you know. <laughs> Why do we work so hard? Why do we try to be so pretty? Why do we try to be so talented? Why do we try to hide so much? Quit being your own high priest. You have a high priest. Secondly, to be set free from guilt and shame, we've got to rest in the sacrifice of a superior high priest. I watched a documentary this week on Garth Brooks, of all people. It's entitled The Road I'm On. I would highly recommend you watch it. I had no idea he was the top-selling solo artist, like, ever in history. And um, the, the documentary talks about him, you know, in the 90s, for about nine years, he was on top of the world. But his marriage was falling apart, and uh, one day he was walking with his three daughters, and one of his daughters pronounced a word differently than they pronounce it in Oklahoma. And he looked down and he said, what did you say? And she repeated it back to him. And in that moment, he realized that a nanny was raising his children and doing the job that was given only to him. And he quit. He, he was on top of the world. He was making a bazillion dollars. Everybody knew him. And he quit. He divorced his wife. Um, but they lived on the same land in Oklahoma. And here was his rhythm. He describes it. He said one night the girls would spend the night with his wife. The next morning he would show up. Take, you know, get them ready, take them to school that afternoon. They would meet at soccer practice, you know, kind of be a family unit. And then that night he would take the girls, and the next morning she would come and help them get ready and take them to school. Then they would meet. He said they did that for 14 years. 14 years. What was he doing? He was atoning for his sins and the neglect of his daughters. And it was an incredible sacrifice. And it was the right thing to do. But it wasn't enough. And you see it. He still, he talked about, and he's 
remarried, but he talks about the failure of his marriage, and he's weeping. You can see the guilt. You can see the pain. He's talking about how he blew it, how he never wanted to be that person. No matter what he did, no matter how much he sacrifices himself, he cannot pay back because he can't pay the price. He needs a better priest, and so do you, and so do I. And Jesus is that priest. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus entered God's presence through the greater and more perfect tent. What Jesus did, you, you see, our efforts to appease for our sin, and really the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament, is it, it, really just a very shallow system uh, seeking not permanent relief, but temporary relief. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this. Christ went into the tent. He went into the tabernacle, if you will. He went right into the presence of God not to offer a sacrifice that would need to be um, performed over and over, but He did it once for all. The imagery is that we go into the tent with our shame and we come out holy and righteous and free. And that's what Jesus did. A man by the name of Stephen Robinson said this. He said, God uses no magic wand to simply wave bad things into non-existence. That's, what, that's kind of how we want God to do it. That's how we think, okay, He just kind of forgives us, that's His job. No, He doesn't wave a magic wand to simply um, wave bad things into non-existence. The sins that He remits, He remits by making them His own and suffering them. The pain and heartaches that he relieves, he relieves by suffering them himself. These things can be shared and absorbed, but they cannot be simply wished or waved away. They must be suffered. Do you know what it means that Jesus entered once for all? He entered as if he were that preacher who didn't, get, who didn't do enough to get his father saved. He became that for me. I don't think you're hearing what I'm saying. He became my sin. Even if all of those scenarios that I think about were true, He became it for me. He became your lust. He became your surfing of porn. He became your gossip. He became your self-righteousness. He became your pride. He became your arrogance. He became everything, anything. There is not a scenario that you can get in and you can say, my God has not become this for me. Indeed, we do. We all know it. It doesn't matter how hard we rage against it. Oh, sin is not really sin. We can redefine sin. We can determine what is and is not sin. We can't outrun our conscience. We can't outthink our conscience. 
It bears witness against us, but oh, we have a high priest who has become all those things for us. Is that not a message that we should tell people if we believe it ourselves? Dear friends, that is freeing. There is no perfect husband in this room or in any room on this planet. There is no perfect wife. There is no perfect child. There is no perfect student. There is no perfect teacher. There is no perfect preacher. There is no perfect nurse. There, there is no perfect unemployed person. <laughs> there is no perfect uh, incarcerated or not incarcerated person. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet all of us are justified freely by His grace through the atoning work of a Jesus that entered the temple, entered the tent, allowed Himself to be sacrificed so that God's holy and just wrath is now appeased. You have the love of God. Stop working for it. Receive it this morning. Man, this thing's going to drive me. I'm about, I'm about to sin. Thank God there's a, uh, there's a high priest. <laughs> Got to watch my mouth. Uh, my heart. Woo. There's a high priest. And he's good. Now, what difference does that make? All right, let's all go home and just relish it and, and live in it. Yes. But the, but the writer of Hebrews says, oh, there's so much more. All right, one more time. Um, there we go. Number three, once free, we must live free of dead works to serve the living God. The reason he offered himself was to free us from dead works. Wow. Free us from dead works. Are you telling me that even my works, I, I can't even take confidence in my works? That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. Th that's the whole point of Jesus saving us, is that we are free from even having to take any credit. So did Garth Brooks not get credit for giving up fame and fortune and millions of dollars for 14 years? Well, he got some good from it. He got some good because his daughter's loving now. And the older they get, the more they understand what he gave up. And they did an interview with all three of his daughters, and that is, I was bawling. His middle daughter, who is the self-proclaimed, and everybody else in the family affirmed it, the rebel. I mean, she's the one that just gave him the most trouble, and yet she said... I don't know what, where I, who I would be today if my dad hadn't made that sacrifice. Yeah, there's good that comes from that. But listen, here's the thing. Garth Brooks' sacrifice is powerful, not because it rivals Jesus' sacrifice, but because it mir mirrors it. It's powerful because it is a, a shadow of the real thing. So, 14 years of that kind of sacrifice is good, but it does nothing in order of getting him closer to God, of, 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 of making him more acceptable as a, a living sacrifice to God. Does that make sense? And here is how our good works can be deadly. Here is how our good works can bring death that, that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. For many years, I was not really in tune with the reality of the gospel that I'm preaching to you. I had been to seminary, 
I had been three years in a, in a, a church working as an associate pastor. I had been two or three years into my first church plant. But I was looking to my works to present me as holy and righteous before God. And I was giving all kinds of dead works to him. One was my own parenting. You see, when you think that what God wants is perfect children and a perfect parent, oh my, those poor children. Because what you have to do is make sure that they're perfect. Have you ever tried to make children perfect? <laughs> Woo! Oh, but I'm hard-headed, folks. I'm determined. And you see, the, you see the, 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 the problem. You see, those works presented to God merely, I mean, they were excrement. They merely made me twice as much a son of hell as any prostitute, as any gangbanger, as any embezzler uh, of, of one's 401k, of any murderer, of any sexual deviant. It is filth in the sight of God to operate relationally with God as if you can manipulate Him with your own atoning work as a high priest. But what does it mean to be set free from that? What does it mean when we understand I can simply love my children and entrust them to God? I can set boundaries. I can discipline. But their behavior does not define me. The outcomes of their life doesn't define me. What does it do in a, in, a, in a marriage when you're not making that marriage an atoning sacrifice to God if your wife or your husband is not acting as they should act to make you look good? You can be freed from that. Dear friends, you can be free to serve a God that loves you beyond anything you could ever, or any degree you could ever be loved by anything or anyone else. And so we can now serve Him with joy, serve Him with delight. We can serve the living God with works that are alive, with works that are good. Why? Because they are not presented as a sacrifice, they're presented as a response. It is gratitude. It is joy. It is love. And friends, this is so particularly relevant to downtown church. We're a church that, that wants to be engaged in our community. We want to do good. We want to sacrifice so that others might flourish financially and in ways of just serving. We want to lay down our lives, but here's the deal. When you're not doing that, resting in Christ being enough, you kill the one you're trying to serve. Because what if you're using them, they have to be grateful. If you're using the, if you're using downtown church, well, I come to downtown church. If just walking into the store and sitting in this place and leaving, you think that you're offering a great service to God, and that is your motive, 
as opposed to responding to God's love for you and seeking to, to, to be part of the family of God, you're no better than anyone else. You're simply here to be used of Him to love and to be loved. If you're just here to offer a sacrifice, then you have everything to give. It's exactly, Gina, perfect illustration. And believe me, I've lived that a bazillion times. We have to come into this place not looking to others or our church attendance or our participation or membership with a cross-ethnic or cross-class church to be our righteousness. If we do, we will not be here long. Because nobody's going to perform for you around here. I see that all the time. It's hard. It is so hard, and yet it is so good because we don't need a community which others are performing for us. We need a community in which we can simply be fellow sinners redeemed by the grace of God, living out of His love, loving one another, accepting each other where we are and moving forward by His Spirit, through His Word, trusting Him, rejoicing in His finished work. I don't need you to be somebody for me. You don't need me to be somebody for you. We are simply here to worship the living God who has called us into His service by being our atoning sacrifice. Does that make sense? So, dear friends, how do you need to respond to this message? How do you need to repent? How have you been using people, using work, using um, really anything, using uh, crime, you know, using anything to try to make yourself feel more worthy? to try to make yourself feel worthy of God's love. Dear friends, Jesus has already done that for you. Fall into Him. Rest in Him. Glory in Christ. And may it be your functional trust, not just something that sits on the surface of your life, but has no operational direction and power. Oh, dear friends, may we, may downtown church be a place where we are operating out of the finished work of the high priest who has atoned for our sins that we might be loved by God forever. And may the world see something different. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you did not reject taking on flesh. Thank you, God with us, Emmanuel, the one who took on our flesh that you might be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, that you might take on our shame so that we might have peace with God. Oh, Father, I pray that you would pour out your spirit, that hearts would be freed and liberated in this place this morning, that we would be free to know your love, that we would be free of shame and guilt, that we might be vulnerable with one another, that we might come out of hiding and even share our hurts and pains because it's not our identity, but you are our new identity. Lord Jesus, make it be so. Do a great work in us this, in this place today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May we respond to the grace of God by bringing our tithes and offerings this morning. Um, there is, at the bottom of your bulletin, if you're new with us, or if you have a prayer request, please fill this out and put it in the basket. Um, we just want a record of your attendance. I will remind you that uh, we are asking um, our church family to, to come strong in light of God's grace as we seek to make up 
Uh, a shortfall of about $179,000. We're seeing good progress, but may we keep, keep moving forward together as his family. Amen.